On your phone at WGNSRadio.com. 101.9 AM 1450 and WGNS Rutherford County's Place the Talk. Stand by Rutherford County. The WGNS Action Line continues a search for truth. We welcome everyone to the program. My name is J. Paul Newman. My co-host is Rutherford County District Attorney General Jennings Jones. We thank WGNS for providing the airtime. We also thank our producer, Nick Coyne. Most of all, we thank you for listening. In our Call to Conviction segment, we will highlight a case that drew national attention. It was a case that I am very proud to have prosecuted. It is a case where a helpless infant child was abused and severely injured. Shortly after the injuries were inflicted, the abuser was prosecuted and punished for the abuse. But over 25 years later, the child died from those injuries. After intensive medical and legal interviews, my legal research indicated that no one in the state of Tennessee had ever been successfully prosecuted where the injuries and the death were separated by more than 25 years. And this case was even more complicated because the abuser had already been punished for the abuse. After considering the legal arguments, the medical findings, and the horrific facts of this crime, it was decided that the case should be prosecuted. It was my honor to have the opportunity to prosecute this case and to seek justice on behalf of my most helpless and sympathetic victim. The case was the murder of Amanda Lane Woodall, and it will be our focus on today's From Call to Conviction. Then in our What's the Law segment, former District Attorney General Bill Weitzel will discuss some of the legal issues of the Amanda Woodall case. And in our Inside the Court segment, District Attorney General Jennings Jones will tell you about recent and upcoming grand jury, general sessions, and circuit court activity. We will begin the broadcast after you listen to these important messages. Hi, this is Amanda at Animal City. Come see us at 919 Northwest Broad Street here in Murfreesboro. Now is a great time to consider flea and tick protection for your pet. We carry a full line of flea and tick products for dogs, cats, rabbits, and ferrets. We also carry a variety of hard-to-find products for your specialty pets. So if you need a pouch for your sugar glider or food for your hedgehog, come see us at Animal City. You can find Animal City at 919 Northwest Broad Street in Murfreesboro. 
Hi, this is Peter Demas with Demas's Restaurants. One of the things when we were looking at trying to craft our menu to help those who are dieting is the side dishes. A lot of times we were so used to eating starches and unhealthy side dishes. In addition to our spinach, which we've had on the menu from the start, we've added zucchini and green beans, but we've also added broccoli. The broccoli is properly steamed so it's not too soft and not too hard. Please have your family join our family for lunch or dinner seven days a week at Demas's. Listen live to WGNS Radio on our website, Analexa, or Google devices. Search WGNS Radio for on-demand podcasts in iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. Plus, we have direct links to podcasts at WGNSRadio.com. From call to conviction, time now for a look back at one of the more intriguing and important cases for this community. From the crime, the investigation, to the prosecution. Our case study today details a tragic saga. It begins on September the 24th, 1991, and ends over 25 years later, on March the 3rd, 2017. This is the case involving the life and death of Amanda Lane Woodall. Amanda Lane was born on August 22nd, 1991. 33 days later, on September the 24th, 1991. Five-week-old Amanda Lane was taken to the hospital. Amanda Lane had suffered severe head injuries and brain damage. Amanda's father told hospital personnel he had accidentally dropped Amanda. The child's mother told the doctors that Amanda's injuries were no accident. She reported that five-week-old Amanda had been beaten by Amanda's father. The hospital promptly notified the Department of Children's Services, who in turn notified the Rutherford County Sheriff's Office. Amanda Lane's injuries were so severe that she would develop cerebral palsy. She would not be able to speak. She would not be able to feed herself. She became blind, and she would remain bedridden and helpless for the rest of her life. On September the 24th, 1991, Anthony Shannon Lane was arrested and charged with the aggravated child abuse of Amanda Lane. On September the 25th, 1991, Anthony Lane was interviewed by Rutherford County Sheriff's Detectives Chuck Thomas and J.D. Driver. During the interview, Anthony Lane admitted that he had lied to the doctors regarding Amanda's injuries. He told the detectives that he did strike his five-week-old daughter three times because she would not stop crying. Anthony Lane was represented by Murfreesboro attorney Steve Waldron. The state was represented by Assistant District Attorney William C. Weitzel, Jr. Following a suppression hearing, Judge Steve Daniel denied the defense motion. Anthony Lane's confession would be heard by the jury. A trial date was set for May the 20th, 1992. When May the 20th, 1992 arrived, Anthony Shannon Lane decided not to go to trial. Instead, he entered a plea of guilty as charged to aggravated child abuse. Pursuant to the plea agreement, Judge Daniel sentenced Anthony Shannon Lane to serve 10 years in the Tennessee Department of Corrections. Everyone believed this tragic and horrific case was now over, but that would indeed not be the case.
Nancy Woodall adopted Amanda Lane, and Amanda Lane became Amanda Lane Woodall. Because of the injuries Amanda received at the hands of her father, her condition never improved. Amanda remained bedridden. She had to wear diapers past her infancy and through and beyond her teenage years. Amanda never gained the ability to speak. She could never feed herself. Amanda would, at various times, need to be hospitalized related to her injuries. On August the 30th, 2013, Amanda Lane Woodall died. At the time of her death, Amanda Lane Woodall was 22 years old. On August 31st, 2013, an autopsy was performed by Dr. Aaron Carney of the State Medical Examiner's Office. Dr. Carney found that Amanda Lane Woodall died as a result of complications of remote blunt force trauma. Dr. Carney also reported that Amanda Lane Woodall's death was a homicide. Detective Steve Kohler of the Rutherford County Sheriff's Office was assigned to investigate this new development. On July the 24th, 2014, Anthony Shannon Lane was arrested and charged with the murder of Amanda Lane Woodall. The Rutherford County Grand Jury returned an indictment charging Anthony Shannon Lane with the murder of Amanda Lane Woodall. The case was assigned to the court of Judge David Bragg. Anthony Shannon Lane was represented by Murfreesboro attorney Brock East. Representing the state was Assistant District Attorney J. Paul Newman. On March the 3rd, 2017, more than 25 years after Amanda's injuries were inflicted by her father, Anthony Shannon Lane pled guilty to the murder of Amanda Lane Woodall. Pursuant to the plea agreement, Judge Bragg sentenced Lane to serve 20 years in the Tennessee State Penitentiary. This sentence was in addition to the 10-year sentence Lane received in 1992. This case is a landmark case that began in 1991 and ended over 25 years later in 2017. Present in court when Anthony Shannon Lane entered his plea was Assistant Public Defender J.D. Driver, the former detective who helped bring justice to this case. It is our honor to have J.D. Driver in the studio today. We begin by saying, J.D., welcome to the broadcast. Thank you, J. Paul. It's a pleasure to be here with you this morning. J.D., I know that you have worn many hats and had various careers. Can you share with us the various paths that you have traveled over these years? Well, for 14 years, I was a law enforcement officer here in Rutherford County. I spent the last seven of that as an investigator with the Rutherford County Sheriff's Department. What was it that motivated you to attend and complete law school? I had a friend that uh, I'd worked with, and his name's Tom Davis. He was uh, later a Dr. Tom Davis out to the university. He had went through the Nashville YMCA Night Law School. I think you and I know it very well. And Tom had encouraged me to do this. What motivated you to become an assistant public defender? Well, at the time I joined the public defender's office, I, I can recall it well. Uh, Gerald Melton, the, uh, the public defender, the only public defender for Rutherford County and I were talking one day in Woodbury. I was sitting a special judge up there for the late John Melton and he had talked to me about maybe joining him. 
he made an offer and I accepted. Anthony Shannon Lane pled guilty in 1992 on your case. Share with us now what thoughts entered your mind when you heard that over two decades later he had been charged with murder. I had lost track uh, of the child during that time. I, I didn't know basically what had happened with him. I didn't hear about this matter un until I think you notified me, Jay Paul, and, and told me that I might be a witness at some point in time and provided me with a document of, a, of an old statement that I took from Mr. Lane at that point in time back in 1991. And I know that the district attorney that worked with you on this case was General Bill Weitzel, and I'm going to turn the microphone over to Bill for a few questions. John, I want to welcome you to the program this morning, and I remember this case pretty well. It was a big deal at the time. I was not the DA, I was the assistant DA, and I recall that the big issue in the case was the statements that Mr. Lane made. I know that you and Detective Thomas interviewed him at the hospital, but initially, what information had you and Detective Thomas received from Mr. Lane? Well, when we went down there, we were looking at this matter as suspicious. We had received information from the hospital that the medical personnel there did not think that the stories given by the parents were matching the injuries. We talked to those folks first. I remember that before we ever talked to the mother or Mr. Lane about what might have happened to this child. Trying to gain some information that if this was a situation where this child was injured in any way that was not accidental, we could weed out that statements and, and go more to the gist of the matter if this was an intentional act. Based on your investigation at the hospital, Mr. Lane ultimately changed his story somewhat and admitted to hitting the child. That is correct. We were able to separate him, uh, talk to him individually. It was a situation where he did make a statement that he had lost his temper and had struck his child. We took him into custody at that point in time. He was transported from Vanderbilt Hospital back to the Rutherford County Sheriff's Department, and uh, there we took a more detailed statement from him. Ultimately, as Mr. Newman indicated, the court upheld the admission of Mr. Lane's statement, which, which I think were very damning. And uh, I want to tell you, had it not been for his statements and the, and the work that you and Detective Thomas did, uh, I don't believe that he would have pled guilty. I think that we had built a, a good case and certainly want to give Chuck Thomas uh, every bit of credit that he deserves. He worked as, just as hard as I did in regard to these. I guess I just uh, was the person asking the questions on that day when, when things got recorded. But Chuck obviously put in the time. He's uh, still protecting the citizens of Rutherford County. I know in your career, you've always represented your clients zealously and within the bounds of the law and in an ethical manner, but you've had the occasion to represent people charged with very similar crimes to what Mr. Lane was charged with. Tell us how you come to represent people who have done some terrible things. Well, the first thing that I ask anybody that I'm representing, did you make a statement to the police? because those are very, very difficult to get back if you ever did that. And then you simply look at the discovery that the state files, and we have a, a great district attorney's office when we have really good relationships with all the criminal bar 
in my opinion. And it's a situation where there's no surprise. They, if there's a medical report, then, then we'll see a medical report, and we share those with our clients. Uh, we, we showed them all the discovery that, uh, that is provided and what we think would be brought up or appropriate in court. It is difficult to, to go into some of these situations. If we look at the ethical rules that attorneys have to, to zealously protect your client, and that's what we're there for. And I hope people understand that. Sometimes I tell people, say, you couldn't do that. And I said, well, I guess you believe in the Constitution because that is part of the Constitution. And because we are a country of the rule of law, it's necessary that in order to have a good criminal justice system, that people be competent, that the state be held to follow the rules and to do so in an ethical manner. And certainly, as you've pointed out, uphold the standards and traditions of this country and the rule of law in our Constitution and statutes. Mr. Driver, we want to thank you for your service that you have provided to the community. You served the public as a police officer, and we also want to thank you for the service you now provide to the people of this community who cannot afford an attorney. Do you have any parting comments? Oh, it's a pleasure to be here to talk about these old matters and to in all honesty, see justice brought for this young woman. I never met Miss Woodall until that day in court when Mr. Lane pled. I was moved. I wouldn't be the person that could have brought in the child with the challenges that that child had and see her every day taking care of every need she had and even at some point in time adopting that child. That That is a woman that I can't say I admire more. And I share those thoughts with you. It is, was a pleasure working with Miss Woodall on this case. I can tell you that she has told me that she has taken care of 416 different children that she has taken on an emergency basis and taken care of. Now, when we return, Bill Weitzel will tell us what's the law as he examines some of the more interesting aspects of this case. can make a meaningful difference in 2021. KidLink Community Services is currently seeking foster parents in your area. KidLink provides free training and certification. Contact KidLink today at 877-714-1313 or KidLinkServices.com. Family Staffing Solutions is proud of our local veterans. I'm Becky Bookner, and as life challenges appear, talk with Family Staffing Solutions about how we can help you stay at home. Call Family Staffing Solutions. Family Staffing Solutions. Honoring and remembering those who served in our military, here is today's Salute to Veterans. Norm Elzir, he's a World War II vet. In this salute, we talked to a World War II veteran. When you went into the war, at what stage? Was it the beginning, the middle, close to the end? Well, it was close to the beginning, the December beginning. 7th. How many were on your crew? Six gunners and four officers. Did you ever keep count of how many you shot down? Well, yeah, I shot down three. How old were you when you went in? Nineteen. Nineteen years old. And what was your parents' opinion of the time? Well, my parents were dead a long time. I was an orphan. Being the young man you were, what kept you going? What was the driving force inside of Norm? I don't know if I could really answer that. You had a job to do, and you had to do it. That's about it, you know. Uh, you just didn't worry about it. You just no, did it. You did it. That's right. And uh, whenever you got back from a mission, you kissed the ground and glad you're alive. Well, Norm, I look back and think, 
How would your relatives hear from you? They called a V-mail. If you wanted to write a letter home, they called it a V-mail. A V-mail instead of an email, huh? Yeah. You write your letter, then an officer would take it, and he'd go over it. If he thought there was stuff in there that shouldn't be said, he would cut it out. And sometimes your letter would get home, and we'd be nothing but holes. This has been a Salute to Veterans on WGNS Radio. Weekdays at 5, it's all sports talk with Marty Hale Jr. and Tim Tackert. Here on WGNS, we're local, we know sports. What's the law? Time now for an examination of the laws of Tennessee. This is not intended to be legal advice and is being presented solely for the informational benefit of our listening audience. You should always consult with an attorney whenever you need or rely on legal advice. Paul, I want to talk about two aspects of this case that that are kind of unusual and people might wonder how in the world can you prosecute somebody for a homicide 22 years later? And there are two issues here, the passage of time and also because he had been found guilty or pled guilty to this earlier crime, how is this not double jeopardy? So I want to start first by the passage of time. At common law, and that's a term of art, the United States derived our laws based on the common law of England. And the common law is law that is precedent set by the courts. In other words, it's not what we refer to as as a statute or statutory law, but it's court-made law. And under English common law, there was a rule that you could not prosecute anyone for murder if the death of the victim occurred a year and a day after the event. And for many years, that was thought to be the law in the state of Tennessee. It it really never came up. Now, in 1989, uh, the Tennessee legislature adopted our new criminal code, which is the statutory code, and in that, they specifically said that in Tennessee, the common law no longer applies, but our criminal code is the governing law, the statutory law uh, that defines what constitutes a crime, the procedure, the sentencing, and all of the aspects of the criminal justice system. And in 1999, in a case, Rogers versus State, our state Supreme Court formally abolished the old year-and-a-day law saying Tennessee no longer adheres to the common law and therefore the victim's death does not have to occur within a year and a day. So that's the reason that in this case, even though the death occurred 22 years later, that the prosecution was able to go forward. Now, the next question, why is this not double jeopardy since the person had been convicted earlier of the crime of aggravated child abuse. And the reason for that is that all crimes are made up of elements. For instance, aggravated child abuse. Aggravated child abuse would be the intentional, knowing, or reckless harming of a child that causes injury. And so those were the two elements there. The additional element is that the child died. And that element then is outside of the child abuse and creates the charge of murder. In other words, the intentional or knowing killing of this child. And so because the child died 
that additional element was present, and our courts have held that in that case that you can go and charge for the higher crime of murder. Now, I want to ask you a question, because at the time that Mr. Lane was charged with the homicide, I think the death occurred while I was still in office, but by the time he was indicted, I had gone. So I want to ask you a little bit about that case, and specifically your research concerning the amount of time, the 22 years that had passed. The first thing I did when I was notified that this was going to be ruled a homicide by the medical examiner's office was I contacted the state attorney general's office, and I asked them for their legal opinion as to whether or not the year-and-a-day rule applied and also whether double jeopardy applied and what concerns we needed to be concerned about. After getting the green light from the attorney general's office, that's when I decided it was time then to take it to the grand jury. We took it to the grand jury, and the grand jury agreed because the real issue in the case was causation. Did the injuries that he inflicted back in 1991, did those injuries actually cause the death of Amanda? And the grand jury agreed that they did, and they returned an indictment. Now, I believe you told me in your research the longest period of time you had found between the cause, the causation, and the death was four years. And 22 years is five times that much. Did that cause you some concern? It did cause me concern because I wanted to make sure that we were well within a reasonable range. The research that I did convinced me and also convinced the Attorney General's office that the real issue was how strong was your causation tie. And if the doctors were strong in their belief that this was the actual cause, then they felt comfortable going forward with the case in light of the fact that this, I believe, would be the longest period of time in the state of Tennessee. You know, uh, I can recall when I was a district attorney, we had another case where an individual was shot, didn't kill the person, and they died a number of years later. And at the time they passed away, they were in Florida, and I can remember that person's mother calling me and wanting the person that shot him charged with murder. He had been found guilty of attempted murder, but now that the victim had died, she wanted me to charge the person with murder. And I looked at it, and unlike this case, where this young lady never, never, she never was able to get out of bed again. She couldn't see. She couldn't speak. She was severely handicapped. Her lifestyle was such that she didn't have anything else that could cause her death, of course, unless she caught uh, some type of disease which was not the case. This young man in Florida had spent or most of his life after being shot living on the streets, dealing drugs, using drugs, and things of that nature. And because of his lifestyle, I did not have the medical causation to be able to show that the gunshot wound was what caused his death. This case was very different. And I understand, Bill, that we talked about changes in the law. Uh, There's been a dramatic change in the law as far as the aggravated child abuse statute over the years. And I I did want to say this. I was very concerned when we started talking about doing this case that Mr. Lane only received 10 years, which uh, you pointed out to me. The range back then was 8 to 12 years, so he received right in the middle of it. But now, had this case been committed today, it would have carried a class a felony which would have been up to 25 years 
So I'm glad that that's been changed. When we return, we will go inside the courts. He's local. Certified financial planner Jason Qualls. Financial Coaching Radio. Weekdays at 4 on News Radio WGNS. Have you experienced the nightmare of water, mold, or fire damage? Call Restoration One for a free estimate. Veteran and locally owned, fast and available 24-7. Restoration One offers preventative maintenance so that you never have to experience a loss like this again. Restoration One, the water damage experts. Hi, I'm Dr. O, and I welcome you to meet our compassionate team at Amaville Farms Family Dentistry. Come check out our new patient special. We're located just off of I-24 on Amaville Road. Amaville Farms Family Dentistry. Come fill the Amaville Farms difference. Old friends, new name, better together. As First National Bank of Murfreesboro transforms into Capstar Bank, our focus is on you. We're entering a new generation of banking in Rutherford County, but we'll always remain a community bank with local people you trust and uniquely exceptional service you deserve. We're at 2230 Mercury Boulevard, capstar.com. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. The Wake Up Crow, weekday morning, 6 to 7.50. WGNS, your good neighbor station. Rutherford County's place to talk. This is Inside the Courts. A look at this month's trials, pleas, and grand jury action. Inside the Courts is presented as a courtesy of the Rutherford County Clerk's Office. Good morning, everyone. This is your District Attorney, Jennings Jones. In this segment, I will be your tour guide as I take you inside the courts. We want to begin this segment by stating that none of the defendants named in upcoming trials or hearings have been convicted, and, of course, they are presumed by our law to be innocent. With that as a prelude, we will now go inside the courts. First, I noticed in the Daily News Journal today, or perhaps yesterday, it was announced that the district attorney's office had moved to the north side of the square. Uh, Just a a brief correction there. The the child support office for the district attorney's office has, in fact, or will move to the north side of the square, the old judicial building on the north side of the square. The criminal office will remain where it currently is uh, at 320 West Main Street. Next, By order of the Tennessee Supreme Court, we have been unable to handle bond cases or jury trials in the courthouse. As of March 15th, the courts have been returned to handling bond cases, and as of April the 1st, we will restart having jury trials. In order to make up for missed grand juries, in the past two months, we have held four grand juries, returning a total of 576 indictments of various kinds. Updates on some murders that are currently pending. On April the 9th of 2020, officers with the Murfreesboro Police Department responded to a residence on North Rutherford Boulevard in response to a shooting resulting in the death of Mr. Stephen Lopez Jr. Murfreesboro Police Detective Richard Presley has charged Mr. James E. Evans III with the second-degree murder of Mr. Stephen Lopez. On July 1st of last year, Mr. Evans III waived his right to a preliminary hearing and bound his case over to the grand jury. In March of 2021, the grand jury returned a true bill against Mr. Evans on charges of second-degree murder and possession of a weapon. Mr. Evans' next scheduled court date is June the 7th of this year before Judge Barry Tidwell. 
James Evans is represented by Mr. Or pardon me, by Murfreesboro Attorney Jack Mitchell. The state is being represented by Assistant District Attorney Trevor Lynch. James Evans III is currently being held in the Rutherford County Jail, unable to make bond. On March the 31st, 2019, the Murfreesboro Police Department responded to a residence in the 400 block of Sunset Avenue. Once inside, officers discovered the body of Judith Montmire. Mrs. Montmire had been stabbed multiple times, resulting in her death. Upon conclusion of the investigation, Murfreesboro Detective Jacob Fountain charged Martin Montmire with the first-degree murder of his wife, 53-year-old Judith Montmire. On August 8th of 2019, Mr. Montmire appeared before the General Sessions Court of Rutherford County, and following a preliminary hearing, the court bound the matter over to the grand jury. In November of 2019, a grand jury returned a true bill against Mr. Montmire for first-degree murder. After a series of evaluations and a delay caused by the COVID-19 pandemic, Mr. Montmire's next court date has been scheduled for April the 16th in front of Rutherford County's Circuit Court Judge James Turner. In this case, the state has given notice that if Martin Montmire is convicted of murder, the state will be seeking a sentence of life in prison without the possibility of parole. Martin Montmire is represented by Assistant Public Defender Ben Wetzel. The state is represented by Assistant District Attorneys Trevor Lynch and Dana Minor. Mr. Montmire is currently being held in jail, unable to make bond. On June the 26th, 2019, deputies with the Rutherford County Sheriff's Department responded to a residence on Walnut Grove Road. Mr. Terry Barber was found deceased on the floor with his hands and feet bound together. Rutherford County Detective Steve Brown has charged three individuals with first-degree murder, especially aggravated kidnapping, aggravated robbery, aggravated burglary, and fraudulent use of a debit card. The individuals charged are Devon Gailey, Brent Ross, and Vernice Farrar. Following a preliminary hearing in the General Sessions Court, these cases were bound over to the grand jury. In June of last year, a grand jury returned a true bill against all three defendants. The defendant's next appearance is scheduled for September the 9th, 2020, 2021, pardon, in front of Rutherford County Circuit Court Judge James Turner. The defendants are currently set for trial on March 21st through the 25th of next year. Devon Gailey is represented by Mr. Murfreesboro Attorney Luke Evans. Brent Ross is represented by Murfreesboro Attorney Thomas Parkinson, and Vernice Farrar is represented by Murfreesboro Attorney Amanda Gentry. The state is represented by Assistant District Attorney Trevor Lynch. On July 26th of last year, deputies with the Rutherford County Sheriff's Department responded to the residence of Mr. Eric Bixler. Upon arrival, deputies found Mr. Bixler having died as the result of multiple stab wounds. A female companion of Mr. Bixler advised deputies that two armed men attacked Mr. Bixler and held her at gunpoint while they searched the premises. The female heard Mr. Bixler being tortured by the assailants. Detective Ty Downing of the Rutherford County Sheriff's Department was assigned as lead investigator. Following Detective Downing's investigation, Mr. Christopher White and Mr. Christopher Robinson, both from Kentucky, were charged with first-degree murder, especially aggravated kidnapping, especially aggravated robbery, aggravated burglary, use of a firearm during the commission of a dangerous felony, and tampering with evidence. 
After a preliminary hearing in the General Sessions Court, the cases were bound over to the grand jury. In March of this year, a grand jury returned a true bill against both defendants. Their next court date is on April the 9th before Rutherford County Circuit Court Judge Barry Tidwell. At the time of the preliminary hearing, Christopher Robinson was represented by Nashville attorneys Rich and David McGee, while Christopher White was represented by Rob McKinney and Brian Lewis. The state was represented and will continue to be represented by Assistant District Attorney Trevor Lynch. <clears throat> On October 24th of last year, officers with the Murfreesboro Police Department responded to a shooting at the intersection of North Tennessee Boulevard and Stonewall Boulevard. Officers discovered the body of Mr. Blake Bolton, who had suffered two gunshots and died from his wounds. Detective Albert Miles with, with the Murfreesboro Police Department was assigned as lead investigator. After completing his investigation, Detective Miles has charged Cody Gillum with the first-degree murder of Blake Bolton. Following a preliminary hearing on March 23rd of this year, the case was bound over to the grand jury. Mr. Gillum remains in the custody of the Rutherford County Adult Detention Center, awaiting presentment to the grand jury. The following cases are presently scheduled to appear in the General Sessions Court for Rutherford County on April 5th of this year. Larry Johnson is charged with first-degree murder. Juan Lugo is charged with first-degree murder. Marquise Perkins is charged with first-degree murder. Zolan Miles is charged with second-degree murder. And Deshaun Wells is charged with second-degree murder. In cases that are continually to be monitored, we ask that everyone be on the lookout for any information that they might be able to provide the Sheriff's Department or the Police Department in these two cases. On December the 8th of 2016, Murfreesboro Police located the body of Francisca Gomez Cordero in a wooded area off of Elam Road. Based on their investigation, Murfreesboro detectives have now filed charges against Romulo Hernandez Mayorga. Mayorga has thus far eluded capture. If you have information regarding this case or the whereabouts of Romulo Hernandez Mayorga, please contact Detective Doug Errington of the Murfreesboro Police Department. The number to call is 615-893-1311. That number again, 615-893-1311. The Murfreesboro Police Department continues to investigate the shooting death of 23-year-old Dante Bernard Johnson. The shooting occurred on Friday, March 18th of 2016 at the Vi Apartment Complex here in Murfreesboro. If you have any information regarding this place, this case, please call the Murfreesboro Police Department at 615-893-2717 and ask to speak with Detective James Abbott, or you can call Crime Stoppers at 615-893-STOP. Your call to Crime Stoppers is confidential. Crime Stoppers is offering up to a $1,000 reward for information leading to the arrest and conviction of the person or persons responsible for the death of Dante Bernard Johnson. And that will conclude today's look inside the courts. We're News Radio WGNS 100.5, 101.9, online and on your phone at WGNSradio.com. There are places where people talk, and then there are places that people talk about. News Radio WGNS is both on air, online, and on the phone. 
We'll see mostly sunny skies here this afternoon with a high into the lower 50s. North winds of 5 to 10 miles per hour. Tonight, mostly clear skies and a low near 27. I'm meteorologist Jennifer Wojcicki on News Radio WGNS. Currently, it's 28. Good morning. Traffic still flowing right along here on 24 out by Epps Mill Road. All this traffic flow coming in from Coffee County in and through Rutherford. Just busy up and down. Certain sections of Amoria here. Actually, traffic's a little bit lighter than normal. Hey, Ripley's Aquarium Family PJ Party with the Penguins coming up next week, April 9th. Check it out. Ripley's Aquarium on thesmokies.com. I'm Commander Chuck with your on-time traffic. Mostly sunny skies here this Appointed to serve our most important industry. Hello there and welcome to Tennessee Home and Farm Radio. I'm Amy Beckham. Well, recently, Tennessee State Representative Johnny Shaw of Bolivar was appointed by Speaker of the House Cameron Sexton to serve on the Agriculture and Rural Development Committee of the Southern Legislative Conference. Representative Shaw is excited about the appointment and eager to see how it will impact Tennessee agriculture. It's an opportunity because, number one, I get to share with other legislators from nine other states. So you get to pick their brains, pick their minds about what they're doing, but also you get to share with them what we're doing in the state of Tennessee. And so I'm just excited to be on the committee and hopefully we can bring some more ideas back to Tennessee to make things better for our state. Representative Shaw has served in the State House for more than two decades now and is a member of the House Agricultural and Natural Resources Committee. Having constituents in parts of Hardeman and Madison counties, Shaw understands he must keep farmers in mind while in Nashville. You know, agriculture is so important. Matter of fact, it's the number one industry in our state, number one. But number two, I represent a lot of farmers, but ag go far beyond just farming. You know, it's about water quality, it's about erosion, it's about food safety, it's about measurements. The list goes on and on. Every citizen that lives in the state of Tennessee is affected every day, one way or the other, by what ag does. And so I'm just excited to be on ag and certainly to support farm Bureau because Ag and Farm Bureau really just a hand and glove that fits each other. And during his service in the state legislature, Representative Shaw has been a great friend of the Farm Bureau and both have worked together for the benefit of our most important industry. It doesn't matter how good a service is, if you don't have that connecting piece from where the service begins and where it ends, you got a problem and that's what Farm Bureau does. Farm Bureau is that connecting piece between what we do here and what happens out in the field when it comes to agriculture. For Tennessee Home and Farm Radio, I'm Amy Beckham. Edwin Lee Raymer here with you. Join us on Sunday evenings from 8 until 10 for the P.I. Show right here on WGNS AM and FM. I would like to take this time to announce that on many of our future broadcasts, we will present a new segment of the program. The segment will be called Profiles in Criminal Justice. Profiles in Criminal Justice will highlight the life, the career, and the extraordinary sacrifices and contributions of a person who has served in our community as a criminal justice professional. The person could be a police officer, a district attorney, a public defender, a judge, or anyone else who has served our community as a criminal justice professional and who is truly deserving of special recognition as a profile in criminal justice.
as we end our program today. We thank our producer, Nick Cohen. We thank WGNS for providing the airtime. Most of all, we thank you for listening. Our next scheduled broadcast is Friday morning, May the 7th at 8, 10 a.m. on your good neighbor station, WGNS. We leave by saying, a safe community is the responsibility of each and every one of us. For my co-host, Jennings Jones, this is Paul Newman, bidding all of you a safe and blessed day. The District Attorney's Office thanks you for listening to today's program. If you have any information regarding criminal activity in our community, please contact one of our law enforcement agencies. The information presented on today's show is solely for informational benefit and not intended to be legal advice. You should always consult an attorney whenever you need or rely on legal advice. Rutherford County's most trusted name in news. Talk Radio WGNS, Murfreesboro. Johns Hopkins. I'm Elizabeth Tracy. Emergency departments are frequently chaotic places and for older people may make the experience of being in one traumatic. A recent study suggests that specialized EDs should be constructed just for elders with a staff expert in recognizing and managing unique problems of aging. Constantine Lyketsos, an Alzheimer's disease expert at Johns Hopkins, has a few questions. EDs and acute hospitals are very bad places for people with dementia. What's the definition of geriatric? I'm not sure that a very healthy, vigorous, marathon-running 85-year-old is the same and needs a geriatric unit, whereas you might have a very frail 55-year-old with severe lung disease who is more like a geriatric patient, is this really about age or is it about a frailty characteristic or cognitive impairment? Which- like Ketso says, study of such an initiative is appropriate. CEO Radio, I'm Ray Hoffman. The Trex Company of Winchester, Virginia might properly be categorized as a maker of building materials. But considering how Trex's decking is made from 95% recycled content... It's also one of the nation's biggest recyclers, taking in last year 450 million pounds of plastic. In a message to commercial recyclers, the Trex website proclaims, Your plastic waste can be a golden opportunity. CEO Brian Fairbanks explains. Quite a bit of what we purchase comes out of distribution centers where a pallet will be wrapped a number of times in its life. All of that material will go into a baler. Once they have 30,000, 40,000 pounds available, pick up the phone, call Trex, and we have arrangements with them to pick the material up and bring it to our manufacturing site. By the way, the average 500-square-foot Trex deck contains 140,000 recycled plastic bags. With CEO Radio, I'm Ray Hoffman. Talk with the police chief, the mayor, and other local leaders about issues that concern you. The Action Line with Bart Walker, weekdays at 810 on WGNS. WGNS! Our family at Demas' Restaurant are proud to support local emergency responders who put their lives on the line for our community each and every day. This is Peter Demas, and here is this week's Demas' Emergency Responder of the Week. Sergeant Tommy Massey with the Murfreesboro Police Central Intelligence Division is our Demas Outstanding Emergency Responder. Thanks to his work, eight criminals were taken off the streets after selling pills that were laced with deadly ingredients. 
one person died, and several suffered injuries. Thank you, Murfreesboro Police Sergeant Tommy Massey, for reducing opioid overdoses and deaths in our community. When you see a firefighter, police officer, paramedic, or telecommunicator going the extra mile, let WGNS know, and we at Demas' Restaurant will salute them as the emergency responder of the week. News Radio, WGNS, Murfreesboro, the voice of Rutherford County, and the flagship station for Blue Raiders sports. The Courthouse Clock shows it's 9 o'clock. Now an update from the WGNSRadio.com News Center. 